um, over the last few years, and I'm discovering it's not so much about, it's not always so much about the decision, but it's more about the person I'm becoming in the process of making the decision. You're listening to Charisma Connection. I'm Chris Johnson. Emily P. Freeman is my guest today. She's the author of The Next Right Thing, a simple, soulful practice for making life decisions. Emily, welcome to Charisma Connection. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. And you have a couple of best-selling books out already. They're best-selling books under the Wall Street Journal list, I believe. Simply Tuesday and A Million Little Ways. Could you fill us in on what those are about, too? Sure thing. You know, most of, if you look at uh, the books that I've written, even though they're different, they all really are all about life with God in one way or another. So Simply Tuesday is really about um, walking with God in the midst of our ordinary days, because that's where most of our life happens, hence the Tuesday. And then A Million Little Ways is really about um, what does it look like to What does it mean that we were created in the image of God? And the first thing we know about God is that he created. And the first thing we know about us is that we're made in his image. And so what does that mean for us as people? So it's really a book about um, creativity and what it looks like to be creative, even when we don't consider ourselves, quote unquote, artists. Yes. Well, it's good to have that context as we look at your next book, The Next Right Thing. Now, you're a wife and mother of three. And I I understand you're also working on your doctorate, so I think you've had to make a few life decisions along the way. Would you say that's true? I think that is true. I'm actually working on my master's, so Ah, not quite as much schooling as the doctorate. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe that's next. That's your next life decision. (laughs) Maybe. Well, sometimes it does take a big dose of courage to make big decisions or to make any kind of life decision. Could you tell us about some of your decision-making experiences and how you've learned to make better decisions? It's such a great question, and I do think a lot of us, not everyone, but a lot of us who find ourselves stuck in indecision can really trace it back to uh, fear and maybe being afraid that we'll make a wrong turn or choose the wrong thing or maybe a past decision that we've made um, and then later regretted can haunt us, and so we de- we don't want to repeat a past mistake. And so for me personally, I can definitely relate to this feeling of being afraid to move because I worry I'm, it might be a wrong move. You brought up schooling, and for me, you know, it was I maybe right around my 39th birthday when I was thinking about maybe I would like to go to school and get my master's degree. And, you know, granted, that in and of itself is a is a privileged decision. Let's just be honest. You know, that's the decision that a lot of people don't have the luxury to make. But at the same time, even these decisions that aren't, let's say, life or death decisions, they still come across our path. And a lot of us are presented with, you know, should I take this path or that path or go through this door or that door? And a lot of times it's not between something terrible and something wonderful. If it was, the decision would be easy. A lot of times the decisions that we have to make are between two pretty good things. And so that was one of those decisions for me that really became a catalyst for me to pay attention to 
how I make decisions um, and deciding whether or not I wanted to go to school to get my degree because there were it wouldn't just affect me. It was going to affect my whole family. And when I talk to people who um, are making decisions in their life, I think a lot of times the difficult ones are not the ones that are, you know, only you know, going to affect me and my own self, but they're the ones that are going to impact the people around us. And I do think that um, those unmade decisions, the longer we carry them, the more power it feels like they hold. And so that's why this process of decision-making has become one that I've been fascinated with um, over the last few years. And I'm discovering it's not so much about, it's not always so much about the decision, but it's more about the person I'm becoming in the process of making the decision. That's the most important thing. Well, you write about being a soul minimalist. And when I think of the word minimalist or minimalism, it's hard to say, uh, it's become popular to reduce the amount of stuff that we have in our homes. And some people even keep a list of what they have. And when they bring in something <laughs> new, they get rid of something old. Does that relate at all to being a soul minimalist? You're right. It is a hard word to say, minimalist. <laughs> but I definitely, I definitely think that this. We all kind of know what that means when it comes to our physical spaces. Um, Joshua Becker, who's another author, has a book called The More of Less, and he talks about and writes about minimalism. And something he says about it, he says, minimalism is not that you should own nothing, but that nothing should own you. Mm-hmm. And That makes sense when we think about our home, but it also makes sense when we think about our soul. Because if I think about all the input, I mean, with our homes, we're constantly receiving input into our homes and bringing things in like you you brought up. But we're doing this, the same thing is happening on the level of our soul. And just like in our homes, if we're not careful, our homes can have corners of piled up things that... We don't keep with intention. We just keep by default. And then we have to, you know, declutter and have a Saturday where we, you know, clean out. And the same goes for our soul, that we are constantly receiving input on the level of our soul, interaction with people and work that we do and things that we watch and listen to. But where is the regular output? And I think when it comes to making decisions, especially those tough ones, if we don't have a regular um, practice of releasing some of those emotional and um, just mental baggage that we carry around daily, then we have less space to consider maybe what we really want or what decision might really be best for us and our family. And for me, um, silence and stillness is to my soul as decluttering is to my home. And so that practice of just being still and silent, even for five minutes a day, can make a big difference when it comes to um, embracing the lifestyle of a soul minimalist. Mm, that sounds appealing. Now, how <laughs> how did Jesus, our Savior, model doing the next right thing? You know, this idea of doing the next right thing, definitely I didn't come up with it, right? I mean, it's been said by many wise teachers and authors and people long before I, I, you know, came up with this phrase. But it's a phrase that has meant a lot to me um, throughout my life. But I'll tell you that it became more and more alive to me when I paid attention to how Jesus moved through, um, particularly as we, you know, as the Gospels explain Jesus and, and tell the story of Jesus. If, I, if you think about the way he interacted with people, when to the leper, and he healed the leper, and, he, and then he said in Luke 5, but go and show yourself to the priest now. It's like he gave him a one, 
next right step. To the paralytic, he said, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. And then to Jairus and his wife, when he healed their daughter who had died, he brought her back to life. And instead of giving the family a life plan for this daughter, instead he simply said to the parents, now you give her something to eat. And I just, it's just as remarkable to me to think that Jesus, who is really the only one qualified to give us a grand, you know, 10-year plan, life plan for us, um, he didn't seem to do that when he interacted with people. Instead, he tended to simply give them one next right thing to do. And I think he still works that way today, but I'm often so addicted to the big picture that sometimes I have a hard time seeing what is my next right thing. So how do you think the Holy Spirit helps the Christian in decision-making? I mean, I think the Holy Spirit is vital in decision-making. What I think we often worry about, though, is we might have a thought or a leaning, and we worry, oh, is this me or is this God? And I I just tell you what, I think that we can trace a lot of that fear back to what our image of God is. Dallas Willard said, never believe anything bad about God. And when it comes to listening to the Spirit and His movement in our life and walking with us and within us and around us, I think that a lot of times we don't realize it. But we have a picture, an image of God that is someone who is maybe trying to withhold something from us or trying to trick us or trying to tease us or he has a secret and he won't let us know. And I just don't think that's the God of the Bible. When you look at Jesus, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And the Holy Spirit is the representation of Jesus within us. And so I really think that the fear that we often have that can surround, especially those big life decisions that have to do with vocation, with faith, with relationships. I think as we bring our desire and our questions into God's presence, we can leave them there and then go about our day and trust that the Spirit will reveal to us um, maybe what our next right thing might be. Again, it it might not we might not receive a, a grand picture for what the next 10 things might be, but I, I think he's strong enough and intuitive enough and wise enough and loving enough to give us direction for our next right thing. And we can trust him that, that if we turn wrong or if, or if it's not going to be the best thing, that he's going to let us know. Yes, we have a good God like that. You know, sometimes we make a decision and then we second guess ourselves, but Isn't it sometimes a good thing to second-guess ourselves? I think it is, and that's a great point because um, it's it's really a matter of reflection. And maybe that's a better way to look at it is rather than thinking of second-guessing, maybe we make a choice, and then if we realize later we get more information or we have a different perspective, um, if we can reverse that decision, I think there's grace in that to do that, to admit that maybe we were wrong or to take a different turn. But a lot of times that's not an option. And so I think that the best teacher for future decisions is past decisions. And whether they were right or wrong or best or not best, I think there's a lot of grace to be had and that we can practice the spiritual discipline of being relentlessly gentle with ourselves as we um, bring our our missteps and our regrets into God's presence. There's nothing that he, there's nothing that we're going to be able to do that's going to wreck it all up. That's beyond repair. The Bible says God is making all things new. He's not making all new things. He's making all things new. And that means even those decisions I've made that maybe I later regret, he can make it new in his timing and in his own way. 
So if we miss plan A, plan B is still going to be good. Yeah, don't you think? I, I think he just allows that, and, I, and I'm so grateful for that. Yes, he does. Now, looking at your chapter titles, there are some fun ones in here, and then there are <laughs> some that are rather intriguing, like Stay in Today or Don't Rush Clarity, or Stop Collecting Gurus. The one that got my attention was Wear Better Pants. <laughs> now, I think this is one women can relate to, so what do you really mean by that title? It's a great, it's a great title, right? It makes you want to at least read that chapter. Yes. <laughs> but that that idea of wearing better pants, it's it's I mean it quite literally. I was cleaning out my house one day and probably avoiding a deadline, which writers tend to do. And I was decluttering and doing my thing. And I came across a pair of pants that were my favorite pants at one once upon a time. And I'd forgotten about them. So I pulled them on and I continued throughout the house doing my thing. And about 20 minutes later, I recognized I'm feeling kind of fussy. And I didn't know exactly why until I traced it back to the moment when I pulled on those pants. And I realized, oh, these pants are a little bit tight. And they represented for me a time in my life that I wanted to remember and that I, you know, maybe I was a few pounds thinner, quite honestly, but they weren't, they weren't serving me the way they once did. But because I was trying to hold on to maybe a version of myself that I was more proud of or that I felt more comfortable as, I tried to continue to wear those pants even though they no longer fit. And so I think there is something there to be said for physically, hey, how about we wear pants that don't hurt us? How about we wear pants that allow us to breathe in our actual body? Because I talk a lot about how I, you know, on my podcast and, and whatever I write, I really want to help create space for a person's soul to breathe, to make space for making decisions or walking with God. But if you back that up to a really practical place, I hope I would actually also be able to breathe physically in my diaphragm. And when I wear pants that don't fit or clothes that are too tight because I'm trying to hold on to a story about myself that used to be true that no longer is, I have a harder time showing up as myself fully. And so I really have tried to begin to practice and I and I really see it spiritual in a way, the, the spiritual discipline of wearing better pants. Pants that, that are kind to me, that remind me of who I am now and not try to fit myself into molds from the past. And in fact, I do think that's an important spiritual discipline because here's the thing. If, if the presence of Christ is not real for me, even in this, even in this most ordinary, even slightly maybe ridiculous practice of wearing pants that fit me well, then I feel like that his presence, it's, then it would be difficult to apply his presence to everyday life. And so I think that we can both hold the really serious things of the world and the real serious um, conflicts and struggles and heartbreak of the world, while at the same time thinking of these regular things, cleaning out our closet, doing the thing, you know, wearing things that don't hurt us. We are one whole human person, and all of those things coexist at the same time. And there is something to that when we consider the presence of Christ with us and within us. Well, what are some of the other principles that really impacted you as you, you know, sometimes when you sit down to write a book, then it all, you know, gets fleshed out, these principles that you've been studying and thinking about. So are there a couple in this book that really have affected your life? There are a lot. And I think overall, the idea of just doing the next right thing has been really transformative 
for me of not trying to do the next 10 things, but of really staying, like you mentioned, the title, uh, stay in today. I have a tendency to either rush ahead into the future or get stuck in some of the regrets of the past. And I think the gift of the next right thing posture is it keeps me present. And that has been a real gift for me. And another one is um, instead of being obsessed with and looking constantly, even in my prayers, for answers, I'm learning to look instead for arrows. As I've discovered with my husband and I, he was in a, um, we had a, a long period of time, maybe a year or two, where he was in the midst of a vocational transition. And, you know, when you're in between jobs, you, you kind of want an answer. You need a job. You're looking for what might be next. And we prayed a lot for answers. But over time, we discovered that God was not really giving us an answer right away. Instead, he was, but he was revealing arrows, arrows that pointed to each other, to our family, maybe to one next right thing that eventually led to answers, but they didn't come all at once. And so this idea of the next right thing leading to a small arrow here, another arrow there, um, has really been a gift for me and has begun to you know, develop some patience in me and um, has been important for my own formation. Oh, excellent. How can people learn more about you and your books and your, I understand you have a podcast as well. That's right. Well, the podcast is the same as the book, The Next Right Thing. So you can find that at um, emilypfreeman.com. That's where I am um, online, where you can find The Next Right Thing podcast. And then also nextrightthingbook.com is where the book lives. Um, and I am at Emily P. Freeman on most of social media, Instagram and Twitter. Okay, excellent. You're easy to find. So <laughs> would you be so kind as to pray for our listeners that they would take hold of this way of living? I would love to. Father, we admit we want answers, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we can trip ourselves up when we hold clenched fists around our own agenda. Father, remind us that sometimes as we look for a plan, you offer us instead your hand. And I pray that anyone listening might find that to be enough today. I pray you would grow within them hope where confusion used to live. Grow within us courage where there used to be fear. I pray that you would give us eyes to see the arrows. I pray that we would trust our own hearts as we put our trust in you. And we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. I agree with that. And it's been a real pleasure to have you here, Emily P. Freeman. Thank you, Chris. We've learned a lot. We've learned more about you and these life principles, so so we appreciate you joining us today. I'm Chris Johnson. Thanks for listening to Charisma Connection. Looking to get a new kind of college visit experience? Liberty University has you covered. Experience what's really happening at Liberty with one of the daily campus tours or special events like College for a Weekend or Experience LU. Meet professors and students, enjoy convocation, and get a first-hand look at life at Liberty University. For more information about visiting opportunities, check out liberty.edu slash visit us. Again, that's liberty.edu slash visit us. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. 
We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible.